Okay, welcome back. So you should have taken a minute and you should have done a little bit of building a relationship of trust. But we're going to talk about the the next step in the process, and that is understanding the customer's needs. So uh, in this section, Ethan, why don't you uh, give us an idea, you know, how is this different from building the relationship of trust? Because we, we talked about, you know, understanding the customer and, you know, listening to understand. So w- what, are we, what are we distinguishing here between understanding the customer's needs and building a relationship of trust? So the, the trust is all of just about establishing a relationship, uh, but we're not really trying to get anywhere with it as much as finding that common ground. But when we understand the customer's needs, I like to use that keyword expectations. Okay. We want to understand what they expect is going to come from this engagement. Okay. And if we don't understand, or the sooner we can come to that understanding of what their expectations are, then we know how to position ourselves to be successful and to have a, a more, uh, more better. That's great English, huh? <laughs> Mo better. <laughs> Uh, you see, now I can't even get past the more better. <laughs> but so we want to have that a better relationship uh, in moving forward because of if when we know people's expectations, it's easy then to, to start aligning everything else after that when we talk about solutions and other things because we know exactly what they're looking to do. So when, when we get into that, um, you're going to see that we'll talk about uh, some other principles, the 20-question principle, and then we'll share a little bit about this potato chip rule. And then, but I want to put this out at the very, very beginning. So um, people lie because they don't trust you. Yep. So if I get into it and I feel like they're bouncing around or they're not quite being forthright as I'm trying to figure out what the expectation is, it's because they don't trust me. So you need to understand that, that if it feels like you're not getting open and honest conversation moving forward, then we certainly want to know that we got to take a step back and we got to reestablish those relationships of trust. Can, can I give an example of, you know, when we say people lie? Because anytime you use the word lie, people look at it as a very negative thing and they're just like, I would never lie. I'm not that kind of person. I'm like, you are that kind of person because we all are that kind of person. If you don't think you lie, you should really start looking at at what you do. So I'm going to give a couple examples of where this comes out and we see this happen all the time. You get invited over to a friend's house for dinner. They make this dinner. They ask you, oh, what do you think? Are you going to tell them? "Ah, It's kind of gross, actually. No, you aren't. You're going to say, this is amazing. Can I get the recipe from you? Even if you're not interested in ever making that dish again, you're going to ask for that recipe. Why is that? Because you want to keep that relationship there. But to the point that, that you were making, Ethan, there's not a level of trust. So if you have, you know, like your spouse who makes a dish and says, what do you think? And you trust your spouse and you're like, mm, yeah, this, this one's not very good. Let's, let's not make this again. Because there's a level of trust, you know, that, that confidence that you can share honestly what your thoughts are so that you're not stuck eating this casserole for, you know, the next 20 years of your life every Sunday just because you, you know, lied that, that you love it so much. And so we do this kind of stuff all the time. You know, your spouse comes and says, hey, how do I look? And it's like, oh, you look great when it's like, mm, yeah, you're putting on a few pounds, not looking as good as you used to. You know, like that's, that's not how we interact with people and that's not how we interact with with businesses. The crazy thing is, if I know someone 
very you know, surface level, if I'm just barely introduced to someone, I'm more inclined to actually lie to them and tell them all the positive things because I do not have that trust. And so if you're putting surveys out to your customers, but you've skipped that first level of, you know, building trust, then those surveys, unless they're truly anonymous, if they're truly anonymous and there's no repercussion of me saying what I want, you know, that I'm just going right. to lash out at you. But, you know, if like I'm standing right in front of you with the clipboard and I'm like, tell me what you think here. Tell me what you think here. People don't want to just tell you to your face. Well, I, like I, I hate your product. Uh, terrible service. You guys suck. You know, they want to do that anonymously. So, you know, that that's what we mean when we say they're going to lie to you because they don't have that trust. All right. So now as we jump through the main goal here is we want to understand their expectations. When we understand expectations, it, it solves so many problems moving forward. So we're going to talk about the uh, 20 question principle. Um, depending on your age, you'll already go, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. If we play the 20 question game, um, and that is when, you know, back before electronics and we had to sit in a car to drive to California, uh, the game we played was, all right, I'm going to think of something and you have 20 questions uh, to see if you can figure out what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's kind of where we, we ask a question, we listen to what the response is. If we're not quite sure, we refine the question again. Okay. Put it back out there, listen to the response and tell, and we get that, okay, I completely understand what, what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve and what your end goal is going to be. Now it's easy for us to move, move forward. Um, so remember that rule, 20 questions. Um, and I usually say 20 questions, even though I hope you only do it in five because <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be quite annoying to the <laughs> customer. Poor customer over here. He's going around, is this dude just thick or what? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't want you to literally ask 20 questions, but the idea is that we, we need to get clarity to make sure that we truly understand what their need is. Okay. Yeah, I, I want to, uh, I'm going on a hike. I want a sock that is going to be moisture wickening, but I also like it thicker because my boots are just a slightly big because of when I go downhill, I blah, 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 blah. So when we get to that fine details of exactly what they're looking for, then we know, okay, I understand what their expectation is. And then we can move on to that next step of, of recommending a solution. So, but let me share the, uh, to support Ryan's argument about uh, not necessarily that we lie, but sometimes we don't quite understand in our own minds what we want based off of what the questions are asking. And I'll share two examples and then Ryan, you pitch in at any time to, to help create clarity. So sure. what we call the potato chip rule, um, a study was done a number of years ago where they uh, asked people, hey, do you like your potato chips oily or not oily? Do you like your potato chips salty or not salty? Do you like your potato chips uh, super crunchy, slightly crunchy, etc.? So they go through a series of questions like that. And it was interesting that the majority of people say, oh, yeah, I, I don't want my potato chips real greasy. Um, I don't, you know, want a whole lot of salt. Um, I want them to be, you know, crispy, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then they put the individuals to a taste test. And this is where it got so interesting because now in a blindfold test, they say, all right, tell me which one is your favorite chip. Okay. And what do you think was their favorite chip? It's got to be the greasy, salty one. I mean, that's, that's where everyone, no one wants to admit, I love really crappy junk food. 
you know, they they want to be like, no, I'm I'm the healthy eater, but their taste buds are going to tell them otherwise. Yeah, that's exactly right. That that the oily, greasy, salty, you know, ch- chips just tasted better, mm-hmm. and so that's where they went to when they said, all right, this is what I want. So, so the the principle behind it is sometimes we're not necessarily lying, but we also don't always know what we think or what we perceive is not exactly what our taste buds are telling us. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure that as we start asking those questions, ask a few clarifying questions of what do you really mean by this? Help me understand that. Uh, I, I don't understand that perspective. Can you give me a few more details? Because now all of a sudden we can get to the point of what they really are looking for so that we can make a good solution uh, uh, moving forward. So, and then the next one, and you, you know this one from uh, years and years of experience of, of your, your consulting, Ryan, that, that too many people go to start a business. And I'm going to use an ice cream shop as an example that, hey, wouldn't it be really nice to have an ice cream shop here in town, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and everyone that they ask is, oh, yes, we would love that. Uh, because, you know, the only thing that we have is the, the, the country store down there where I can buy an ice cream bar. So everyone asks, wouldn't it be nice to have an ice cream shop? Well, that's the only question that they ask. Right. <laughs> and, and you know where that goes, okay? Well, all of a sudden, I open up my shop, okay? And, and what happens? Yeah, so you open up the shop and it fails. And the crazy thing is... Uh, you know, people, and, and I see this a lot with entrepreneurs where, you know, they'll, they'll be like, I even did, you know, taste tests. I'm like, well, duh, you invited your friends over to your house and gave them all free ice cream and asked them what they thought. And every single one of them was excited to get invited to a party where they were given free ice cream. And so naturally they're going to say that they loved this. But when you start putting it out to the market and say, is there a need for ice cream? I mean, you gave the example that the only thing out there is the country store. I'm going to take even a different approach. I'm going to say, well, what if you're in a, you know, a major city where there's seven ice cream shops? And you might talk to your friends and be like, oh, my gosh, you know how long the line was? Like we waited 30 minutes before we could even get in to get our ice cream. Wouldn't it be nice if there was another ice cream store, you know? And so based on that one little, you know, incident, you assume that there's this huge demand for ice cream. Well, maybe the customer need is they're looking at it and they're saying, you know what, if there's that long of a wait, there's got to be something good worth waiting for. You know, I mean, how many people, and I don't know that it uh, happens as much now, but I remember when I was growing up, it was a big deal. You know, literally the blockbuster movies where people would camp overnight to watch the movie. The funny thing is, is you could wait, you know, the movie would come out and there'd be like an early, early showing at like midnight on Thursday. And people would literally camp out Wednesday, you know, they would show up Wednesday and sleep on the sidewalk and then go to this showing. They were dead tired by the time the movie even played. <laughs> it, you know, it was a horrible experience, but they loved it because they wanted the adventure. They wanted that experience to talk about. They could have just gone to the showing that was at 2 o'clock on Friday. Does it really matter whether you see the movie at midnight Thursday or 2 p.m. Friday? I mean, we're talking a 14-hour difference. 
And it's really not going to change, you know, when you get to see the movie, but they wanted that customer experience. And so if you don't understand that the need is for them to have something to get excited about, they want to dress up as the character and they want to go stand around and talk to other people who are way too obsessed over this, you know, cult culture. And that's what they really are wanting. And so going back to the ice cream, is it that they want ice cream or is it that they want to go somewhere that's popular? Is it that they want to go somewhere after an event? You know, they had a great time at some sort of event, and now they want to go somewhere where they can sit down and talk about the experience, and they do it around ice cream. So maybe they don't want to be in and out quickly. Maybe they want to stand in line for 30 minutes. As as dumb as that sounds, you know, it's like, who wants to stand in line for 30 minutes? I'm like, a lot of people, actually. A lot of people enjoy that opportunity because that's a time to talk with their friends and, you know, either get excited for what's coming up or share an experience of what they just did. And that's, and that's where this 20-question rule principle comes in uh, so perfectly is because when I ask that question, do you like ice cream, and they say yes, then I ask, all right, how much do you eat? How often do you go there? Uh, yeah. What type of experience do you like? See, all these clarifying questions now of a sudden tell me a whole different story about what they really want to know. Do you like soft ice cream versus hard ice cream? Okay. And so uh, if I ask that single question, I'm almost always going to misunderstand what the customer needs mm -hmm. versus clarifying questions allow us then to really pinpoint what they're looking for, that experience that they want to have that now defines a good experience for them that they're going to they're gonna talk about and share with other people. Okay. Yeah. So your example is fantastic because too often I, I just... I hate the one question that they ask and assume that we understand the complexity of the of the need when it never is that way. So it's always going to take multiple questions to get down to that need and understanding their expectations. Perfect. What your uh, assignment is going to be on this one, you need to identify a couple customers. And you're going to put them down by name on the worksheet. And then you'll see the two columns. Column one is what do you think their needs are? And so you're going to write down what you think their needs are. But then column two is what are their actual needs? And that's where you're going to sit down with the customer and you're going to play that 20 question and you're going to find out what their actual need is. Now, a couple cautionaries here. People don't like being surveyed to death. And it happens a lot. Every time you make a purchase, mm -hmm. everyone wants you to fill out a survey. And we're all pretty, you know, we're pretty tired of surveys. And so if you are trying to do quality customer engagement, I'll tell you that surveys are now in the inherent category. If we go right back to the beginning, you know, surveying your customers are inherent. We want to push you past the inherent and into that idea and even innovative. You know, if you can come up with a really cool way to figure out your customers' needs where they don't even know that it's happening, man, that would be great. But I want you to think about ideas of how can you make this customer experience great so that they're not being surveyed. So some examples of some ideas that you could do would be an in-person visit, you know, if that's if that's feasible for you to do. Or, you know, instead of surveying them, people really enjoy samples. You know, it's like, hey, can I give you a sample and will you tell me what you think of that sample and tell me what you think of this sample and, you know, and why do you like one over the other? You know, what's in it for them? How can you make it something where 
where they're a lot more engaged with what you're doing. So, so don't inherently go to, okay, well, we'll send out a survey to those customers and wonder why you're not getting a response back, but generate some ideas and say, okay, what can I do with my customers to really engage to where they want to play 20 questions with me, to where I can start asking those types of questions? Going back to the ice cream example, when do you like to eat ice cream? You know, is it is it after an event? Is it for a birthday or other celebration? Or do you do it every Friday night because that's part of date night? Like, when do you eat ice cream? Is, is a great, you know, part of those 20 questions. Why do you eat ice cream? How much do you eat? You know, those are things that we're trying to figure out. So you're going to fill out those two columns and you're going to kind of look and just compare and see how close your understanding of the customer is to what they really want. And use that as a way to become, you know, better at understanding customers' needs in the future rather than just assuming that you already know what they want. And if you run into some problems trying to understand what are appropriate questions I should be asking? I'm not quite sure how to phrase this. Reach out to us. We're happy to send you uh, some uh, some of our thoughts through our experience of working with other individuals that might help you pin that down so that you have a good experience, they have a good experience, and you get to have a, a deeper, more meaningful relationship that allows you to move on. 